a great Monday night in the Valley as the Phoenix Suns win against the Toronto Raptors, 114 to 116. They are now seventh, tied for sixth in the Western Conference, and everything is starting to come together. We'll break down this win and more on today's episode of Locked On Suns. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons and a writer at Suns.com and Dime Magazine. Thank you all for making Locked On Suns your first listen here on this Tuesday. We have a big win to talk about and more here on today's show. Hit subscribe, hit follow on your favorite podcast platform if you're listening along if you're watching on youtube hit subscribe hit that bell down below get a notification when a new show goes live drop a comment with your take on this 114 to 106 win you can also follow along at locked on phx suns to chime in with your thoughts on the game mailbag questions funny retweets that i find whatever you love this show this twitter account the best way to keep up with your favorite team. We're going to start with the moment of the game as we always do. I want to get to a big takeaway. There's going to be a lot of Mikhail Bridges in this episode, so just prepare yourself. I don't think that's going to surprise anybody um, who who knows me, who watched this game, who looked at a box score, whatever level of engagement you have. Uh, I, I think you know Mikhail's going to feature prominently, but This fourth quarter, it really had to be the moment of the game, right? The game went down to the wire. The Suns led 62-53 to at the half, but then Toronto has a big third quarter. They just ram it down the Suns' throat um, in the third quarter. Transition points, fast break points, doing what the Raptors do. They outscore the Suns 31-20 to in that third quarter, and then the Suns end up pulling away very late with some free throws, but really this was a, a it was a clutch time game. And the Suns have not actually fared super well in these ones um, in, in recent weeks. Obviously, the Cavs game, the Raptors last game that, that we saw these teams play, the Knicks, on and on and on. The, the, the road games, the games against mediocre Eastern Conference teams have not gone well, and especially when they go into clutch time, that has not been so great for the Suns either, but in this case, it was, and I kind of was like trying to think of the best way to say this before I I hit record here. I wanted to say and and do some sort of big thing about this is a Suns win, and I feel like I've done that before, and I, I do think there's a certain element to the identity that this team has of being greater than the sum of its parts. But the more that I think about it, and until we get Booker back and really know what this team is going to look like, the trade deadline is coming and a lot could change, rather than do a whole Suns thing, I mean, really? It's just how you have to win in the NBA more than anything else. And I think, I mean, I could go down the schedule, right, With, with games lately that have gone down to the wire, but... Chris Paul said it after the Mavericks game last week, which is the last home game, the last game I was at, the last game I did a big deep dive actual recap of. Actually, I think I missed that show. Don't don't uh, don't at me on that one. But 
Chris Paul said after that game, you know, he's a hoops junkie. He loves watching NBA games. If you if you follow along with him whenever he's on social media, you can tell that. And he just said, look, these so many games in this league go down to do you execute? Do you make the big the, the big plays when they're needed at the end of these games? Right? Obviously, all this different stuff goes into it, but any team that's worth its its salt, right? They're gonna they're going to make a game out of it especially with how much three-point shooting and all this pace, athleticism, the overall talent of the league, you're not going to have a lot of games that are blowouts for the, whole, for the entirety of the game, right? And so you have to execute in these late-game situations. And so as much as I want to make it a Suns thing and, oh, their signature win to get contributions up and down the rotation, I think the reality is that's just necessary, Um we're not in the super team era anymore. We don't have a team in the NBA with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry both on it. We don't have, you know, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade together. It's not how it works in real life basketball. And the Suns have learned that the hard way. And I think that they're kind of reinforcing it even when now they are winning these games. But to get to the specifics of some of what those plays were, I want to highlight a few, right? So Damian Lee had two big shots in this fourth quarter. In this, in this crunch time, uh, I guess one of them, a, a three-pointer that he made wasn't actually in crunch time. It was at the seven-minute mark. Clutch time in the NBA's terms is the last five minutes, but I'll give him those five points in, in big moments. Made a couple free throws being on the court late. Monty decided to go with that group to close the game with Damian Lee out there. Um, Cam Johnson, Torrey Craig were both low in minutes. He fluctuated quite a bit. Lee makes those shots. Next is Cam Johnson. Okay, so Cam had a pretty rough game. Monty said post-game he kind of expects that, you know, just getting his legs under him, getting his wind. There's going to be games where he shoots the lights out. There's going to be some games where he is a little cold, and you're just going to have to live with that. But he he comes in, and he's one of nine, finishes one of nine from the, from the field in this game, one of six from deep. Draws a charge on Fred Van Vliet that was a huge moment in this game. About two minutes and 45 second mark. He had just missed a three. Less than a minute later, he gets... I think he's actually guarding Fred Van Vliet, containing a drive. But is able to plant his feet, absorb contact, sell it a little bit, goes goes sliding into the key and... Or into the restricted area... And Van Vliet gets called for a charge. <laughs> and it was a really big moment. The game was 101. Uh, the Suns 101, Raptors 100. Raptors obviously have the ball there. So, you know, a, a successful Van Vliet drive, if he lays it up in that moment, the Raptors take the lead. Instead, we go to our next big moment, which we'll talk about more in just a second. But Mikhail Bridges, he made the shot to go up 101-100. Cam gets that, draws that charge, and then Mikhail Bridges makes another shot uh, off of a dribble handoff at the mid-range area with DeAndre Ayton. Ayton assisted both of those. Mikhail gets the second one to go in. The Suns go up by three, and they wouldn't really let that lead dissipate. Van Vliet did make a shot uh, a moment later, but Chris Paul... Brings us to our next big play. So Chris Paul making shots, that's a bigger thing. I'll talk about that again in a second as well, along with Mikhail. But 
that's a big moment. I'm not going to throw that in with like the executing the little stuff. I mean, that's a shot maker making a shot. You can't, you can't win these games without it. But Torrey Craig getting two offensive rebounds, back-to-back possessions in this game. So one on this Chris Paul three, which was another Mikhail mid-range shot that I frankly did think was going to go in. And I swear to you, um, they would have needed to send FEMA to downtown Phoenix if that shot had gone in because I think the collective noise and uh, kinetic energy that would have happened inside a footprint center might have brought the building down and it would have been a disaster area. It did not go in. Instead, Craig gets the offensive rebound, dishes it back out to, to Chris Paul, who makes it game uh, basically in hand at that point. 106-102, one minute and 30 seconds left. Fred, Fred Van Vliet misses a three, and then that's the final big one that I want to talk about. A Tory Craig, another Tory Craig offensive rebound. He tip tries to tip it in. Instead, it goes to DeAndre Ayton. He tip dunks it, and uh, that really ended the game decisively. There actually was, I, I think, maybe even another Tory Craig offensive rebound. It's hard to read the play-by-play. There's a bunch of stuff in the wrong order. I think it was just that one that Craig tipped that that missed, and then DeAndre uh, got it in, but. You just add all that up. How many names did I just say? And it really did take all of them, you know? Like, I'm not going to discount the fact that you need shot makers, right? You need a shooter like Lee to make some shots. You need Mikhail Bridges to go out and create. You need Chris Paul to take and make, or make and take those threes uh, at, at every chance that he gets late in the game. But DeAndre Ayton assisting. DeAndre Ayton putting the shot back. Couple offensive rebounds and an assist from Torrey Craig. Cam Johnson drawing a charge. That's what it takes in the NBA. That's how the Suns specifically have gotten it done because, again, they are not a super team. They don't have, you know, a top three player in the NBA. This is not the Brooklyn Nets who have a bunch of role players around KD and Kyrie and they make do. This is a team, as Chris Paul has said, and and they really showed that tonight. The top of that team has an extra member in it now, and I don't think we can ignore that anymore the, the 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 big two on the suns it's time to call that a big three we'll talk about why more next first today's show guys brought to you by FanDuel. this year the only app you need at your super bowl party is FanDuel. yes we can actually even say the name as well <laughs> america's number one sports book an official sports betting partner of the nfl we're really excited to make them our new sports betting partner here on the Lockdown Podcast Network because, again, they're the number one sports book in America. And if you're new to FanDuel, well, even better, join in with everybody who already has experienced FanDuel. They have so many great features that makes betting, betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Let's see if we can get some Super uh, Bowl-related odds here. I'm sure that we can. Well, we have have NBA odds for Tuesday night. TNT slate. Lakers-Knicks and Nuggets-Pelicans. The Nuggets are eight-point favorites. Pelicans are healthier. They still don't have Zion, but they've been in in a rut lately. That could be a nice time to cash in. The Knicks are two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. That feels like a little bit of a stretch. The Lakers have been playing well. 
Super Bowl odds. We'll get to them next week. We'll get to them later this week. All of it's there. The FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Chris Paul and Devin Booker have led the Phoenix Suns to great, great heights, right? Super, uh, Super Bowl, I'm on the wrong track. NBA Finals appearance in 2021, 64 wins last year, 13 competitive playoff games, well, maybe 12, we won't count Game 7 against the Mavs. But Chris Paul earlier this year did, did not look like himself. I think based on how last year's playoffs ended for him, Based on how he looked earlier this season, it's fair. It was fair, still is fair to question. What can he really be for this team, right? Well, he looked really good tonight. But I think if that was the maybe the first half of the season question, this beginning of the second half of the season, we're 52 games in. We're about 10 or so games into the second half of the year has been defined by Mikhail Bridges <laughs> showing that he can be an answer to that question, that a solution to that problem, right? I posted on Twitter uh, just in January, now that the month of January is over, Mikhail was at this, this 15 games, right? And he didn't miss any, of course, because he never does. 37.4 minutes per game. 19.3 points, 4.9 assists, 4.0 rebounds. So he's he's basically 19-5-4 and four in 37.4 minutes per game. 48% shooting from the field and 40.2% shooting from deep. All right? I don't know how much better you really need to be. People have been putting out there, I think Bob Adlock, who's the uh, producer of the Suns broadcast, had uh, a good stat from the past nine games. Yeah, 23 points, 50% shooting, 44% from three, and five more than five assists per game. Um, and that's just in the last nine, which the team is six and three in its last nine games. So that's an even better way to slice it. They have a third option. I think it's undeniable that it's there, right? We talked about this a little bit on Monday's show with Brandon about him taking over the 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 symbolism, the the importance of him going up to Chris Paul, which Chris said he did mid, midway through whatever early in in overtime basically saying like I'm give me the ball, you know? And he, and he answered, right? He Got a couple of those mid-range jumpers, one over Pirtle, one over Sohan, and then he got to the basket, got an and one against Pirtle, got two free throws on a separate drive. All those four scoring possessions basically won the game for the Suns. That was important in its own way because it showed the confidence and comfort that Mikhail has doing it. There's been a bunch of games where, you know, he's he's proven different elements. I would say this one to me was more about higher level of competition one um, and doing it with a, a pretty difficult, obviously efficiency 12 of 19 from the field, but doing it with a pretty difficult defensive matchup at the same time. <clears throat> right. I mean, he had a block on Sohan late in that Spurs game on a pull up three. Sohan was hot. I'm not, again, not going to take it away from him, but 
Fred Van Vliet was his matchup tonight, right? And he had, I would say in the first half especially, the, the Raptors were not getting a lot with their pick and roll attack. They were, you know, having, they only scored 53 points. They were having to, you know, crash the offensive glass. They were having to get some isolations, just piecemeal an offense together, which is a lot of the time what they've had to do uh, this season. Their offense is, has not been that effective. And so second half, Fred Van Vliet got it picked up a little bit more, but either way, it was a lot of energy Bridges was having to put out in order to contain that opponent on top of what he's doing offensively. He has 20 or more points in after this game, uh, nine of his last, no, eight of his last nine, I think, seven of his last nine. I, I just read the January stats. I just read the past nine games, which is, is what that, that stretch is. With a bunch of wins trickled in there, the Suns have won now six of their last seven. Uh, yeah, I guess if you stretch it to nine, that actually makes the win-loss worse. They're six of their last seven. They're six of last nine also. They, they lost those first two. And he's driving it. Okay, so when you talk about what this team is, I think Chris Paul coming along since he got back from that second injury about a week or two ago. Devin Booker hopefully coming back healthy, obviously, we know what he is. He, he was excellent at the beginning of the season. And now Mikhail Bridges doing this against increasingly difficult competition against in all sorts of different games. He did it against Memphis. You know, he did it against Brooklyn. These are good, these are good opponents, you know. Dallas has plenty of wing defense. He wasn't amazing in that game, but he was he was still solid. It's a top three. We knew all along, too, and I don't want to lower the bar right as I'm raising it for him, but we knew all along, whatever a, a third option for the Suns was going to be, that definition was not, you know, Clay Thompson on the Warriors dynasty teams, right? It was like, late in these playoff games, can you alleviate a little bit of the, the pressure on Chris Paul? Can you alleviate a little bit of the pressure on Devin Booker? Can you give them an outlet so that the defense cannot key in on them to the extent that we've seen it happen against Milwaukee, against Dallas, heck, even against New Orleans in the past three playoff series the Suns have played. And I don't know if Bridges is going to be 20-plus a game, 50-plus percent shooting for four consecutive playoff rounds. I would expect, just like all players, he's going to have some growing pains when it comes to postseason defenses, being on a scouting report, having the kitchen sink thrown at him, but he's definitely surpassed the level where he can be trusted. He himself is comfortable and defenses have to worry about him as a tertiary piece next to the bread and butter of this son's offense, which is still going to be Chris Paul and Devin Booker in the pick and roll with shooters around them and a good role man. Unless the roster drastically changes, that's the makeup. We know what the nece what the necessary third piece was going to look like. Bridges is easily going to be able to provide that, and that changes a whole lot about what this Suns team will look like come playoff time, assuming the rotation, the bench, and everything shapes up here between now and February 9th. I want to close out with... In addition to the Carl Anthony Towns Honorary Pigeon of the Game assemblage, I want to 
talk a little bit about the rotation, all the stuff we normally do to close out these post-game shows, especially sweeter when it is a win. We'll do that after one more quick break. One fourteen, one hundred six. The Phoenix Suns come away with a victory. A few quick things to get to here. You know what the pigeon of the game is. I actually think I changed the name of it last time that I added a player to it, and I hope you're keeping track because I don't. It's not a lineup. It's not a five-man unit. There's too many players on it already for this to be uh, just five. It's a Hall of Fame, maybe. It's not Carl Anthony Towns, though. I did change the name. Michael Porter Jr. Honorary pigeon of the game because that's where we really heard that term that's where we really got the Suns to open up about the fact that they do this that they target an opponent and that they have such institutional knowledge and chemistry and communication on the court offensively that they're able to target and go after weak links in the defense and I'm sure I I don't want to take credit away from the coaching staff when you see how quickly the team is able to identify it that's 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 also coaching right and it also sort of speaks to the weirdness of this Raptors team. But let me, without further ado, I don't, I don't have a drum roll or any sort of big applause uh, track to play here with my uh, office setup. I don't have a soundboard. But it was Gary Trent Jr. to start the game. All right, and it again speaks to the weirdness of this Raptors lineup. So OG Ananobi's out right now. What that meant is they started Precious Achua as sort of the center, although even he is a unorthodox weirdo raptor where he's technically a center because he's athletic, he's not an amazing shooter, so that's a center in theory, but he's not that tall. And so they still have Van Vliet, who is small. They have Gary Trent Jr. They have Scotty Barnes. They have Pascal Siakam. So... All four of the normal starters, well, all four of the other guys, pretty good defenders. Achua fits right in. It's obvious then that Gary Trent becomes the weak link. What was interesting was the Raptors put Barnes on Chris Paul to start. They also had Siakam on Chris Paul at times. We've seen that mostly come from the Warriors, if you remember those matchups, where Draymond Green will, his primary assignment, so to speak, is Chris Paul basically anticipating a switch. What was weird to me, though, is the Raptors were giving up those switches partially because Barnes was struggling to get around screens. They were giving up those switches really easily, and a lot of the time that ended up meaning Gary Trent Jr. I wouldn't say it was egregious. I mean, the Suns were pretty effective offensively anyway. They didn't really need uh, to be so specific about what they were attacking. McHale had 16 points in the first quarter. But um, they went after him, okay? And you can tell Gary Trent Jr. was a minus four. Fred Van Vliet was a, a neutral, a, a, a zero in the plus minus, And Pascal Siakam was a plus one. So those were the top three minutes guys in this starting lineup. And Gary Trent was a minus four. You can tell the Suns went after him. He also wasn't very great um, as a shooter tonight either. And that probably had something to do with it as well. Then you flip over to the bench, and it was a different pigeon. He didn't play a ton, but the Raptors, man, again, they played lineups tonight, and I don't know if this is normal for them. They don't really have a backup point guard, so it it can get a little ugly, um, to say the least. Malachi Flynn, 
Played seven minutes and was a minus five, so got pretty ugly there too. But they played these lineups where Juancho Hernan Gomez and Scotty Barnes were the smallest guys on the court. Think about that again. Let me just say it again. Juancho Hernan Gomez, you saw him in hustle over the summer. Scotty Barnes, who is a specimen freak hulk of a man, perfectly chiseled physique to play basketball, probably could have played, you know, tight end in the NFL. Those two guys were the smallest people on the court. And so Wancho ended up defending Chris Paul or defending the point guard. I don't actually remember if it was Chris Paul specifically. Suns went right at him too. You know, if you're having those guys at the point of attack against a team in the Suns who likes to run so much dribble handoff, pick and roll, et cetera, with their ball handlers, it's not going to go well. You're asking Wancho Hernan Gomez to get over a screen to not end up with a charge called because he's barreling through, you know, a big man. It didn't make a lot of sense, and so those are the two pigeons of the game. Quickly, I'm going to change. I've called it the bench mob vibe check. I'm changing the name of this one, too. Rotation, or no. Let's go with, yeah, let's go with the, the, the rotation vibe check because people have been in and out of what you would even call the bench mob. It's not even a mob. Monty is throwing everything he can at the wall and seeing what sticks right now, so it doesn't feel reasonable to call it a bench mob. I started that when it was like, yeah, you know who the bench is. It's JaVale McGee. It's campaign. It is Cam Johnson and on down the line. It's not, it's not that way anymore. Um, my guy, Josh Akogi, who I'm always vouching for, he uh, is not even getting consistent minutes. Ish Wainwright was the first guy off the bench tonight. So a couple quick things. And it's again, it's, it's a little bit about looking toward the future of what the rotation is going to look like when Booker's back, when Landry Shamit's back. I think campaign coming back is a conversation for a different day, so I won't even put that out there yet. But when they get healthier, when they make a Jay Crowder trade, when they make some other upgrades to this roster, which I do anticipate, what's the rotation going to look like? Now, obviously, we don't know who's going to be available. We don't know who's still going to be on this roster, so it's a little hard to guess with some of that. But Dario Saric is, is I think, the place you have to start when you're talking about what's changed and what is probably going to remain in place down the line. I think Dario could be traded. If he's not, I think he's going to have to be on the court, in the rotation, after the deadline, down the stretch run of the season. He plays a little bit out of control at times, sure. I think that's necessary for this Suns team. We just talked about it in terms of not having the two-headed monster anymore. You need to get everything you can from all the other parts of the rotation. They've been desperate for bench offense. Charge tonight in 14 minutes had as many bench points as the Suns had on Thursday night against Dallas combined. The whole bench on Thursday against Dallas last week had 11 points. Dario tonight had 11 points. Okay, so that should tell you everything you need to know about what he's capable of doing. He didn't even make any threes. He didn't even have any assists, and he still made an impact on the game. So I think he has to be in there. The problem is he doesn't really fit awesome with any of the other centers. They've been playing a lot of Bismack, Biombo, Dario Sharge, dual duos. Don't love that. Jock Landale, Dario Sharge combo. I'm not really sure what that gives you because you're still not great at defense. To me, I'd rather just say Dario's at, at the five in that case, put some wings and forwards around him, and that's already going to have some limitations terms of rim protection, paint defense, but at least you're juicing the offense. With Landale and Dario, I don't really know what that's doing for you, so I lean against that. 
I come back to Dario probably in a lot of matchups can just be the backup five. And I think that's where I would go with it. Beyond that, we know Damian Lee is going to continue to get minutes. I do not think they would trade him. He's on a bargain contract as a minimum player. Not sure how the league let him slip through the cracks. I guess the Warriors in a championship season having some better options than him made the whole league turn a blind eye to his free agency. But that contract, the value he's provided, they'd be silly to move him. He's going to keep playing. I genuinely think beyond that, I can't say anything. And honestly, from a starting lineup standpoint, Torrey Craig's in there right now. Obviously, Book will take back over once he returns, which could be this week. I would think maybe would be on Friday against Boston. Once you get to that point, Torrey Craig's off the bench, and I wouldn't even pencil him in. I think he's been pretty actually underrated. He's been better at making an impact on games when he doesn't have his shot going. And then you have the Knights, too, where he does end up shooting the ball well. I don't think they'll be in a hurry to trade him he's shooting 40 percent from deep this year okay and so will you add that in with the other little plays some of which i talked about to open the show in that clutch time stretch where he got a couple offensive rebounds big assist all that if you can tell me that tory craig's gonna play 10 to 15 minutes for you in a big playoff series or a big playoff game like a play-in game or something i think that's awesome i would not be in a hurry to get rid of him so maybe he's in there but i I, you know, I'm not even dead set. And look, to be honest with you, the charge thing, that's my opinion. I don't think I'm, I don't think it would be a lock that he's in there, especially because his salary is tradable and his, his contract is expiring. So it's pretty much Damian Lee and the starters who I think are locked in. Monty doesn't seem to know. He doesn't seem to have a rotation. He doesn't seem to be in any sort of hurry to lock something in, in terms of, uh, in time for when Booker's back. It seems like it's just whatever, whenever, let's try to win these games. And that tells me he's not comfortable or confident with it either. Tells me he maybe knows there's change on the horizon in terms of the trade deadline. And nobody really has a great answer. But a win's a win. Over 500 is over 500. The standings are the standings. Everything is shaping up in the right direction for the Suns. The dark days are over for this season. They can start to keep their eye on getting out of the bottom four uh, playoff teams, getting into the real playoffs, avoiding the play-in. All that stuff will be the focus of the rest of the season. The rest of this week on this show will be Aaron Edwards here on Thursday. I'll have a solo show for you on Wednesday. And I'm sorry, Aaron will be here Friday. And then there's a Hawks game mix in there as well so hit follow hit subscribe thanks for making locked on suns your first listen here on this tuesday now go make locked on nba your second listen to get caught up on everything going on around the whole league that show available on all podcast platforms including youtube as well check it out and i will talk to you all tomorrow